Welcome to the Hill City Podcast. This is a recording of the weekly gathering from Hill City Church. We exist to help people follow Jesus and build their lives around three goals. To be with Jesus, to become like Jesus, and to do what Jesus did. If you'd like to join us, we meet every Sunday at 10 a.m. at the Caustic Center in Farmington Hills, Michigan. We hope that today's message will help you follow Jesus. My name's, my name's Adam. It's, it is an honor to be here with you. Um, a few years back, I was a youth pastor in Ann Arbor, and I met a guy who I would say has changed my life. I call him a friend. He's probably more of a mentor because I feel like anytime we meet, I receive way, way more from him than what I actually, I probably give him very little. Um, his name's Gary. He is an experiential social worker. I've never heard that term before. I met this guy, and he's, he's about this tall. Uh, I won't tell you how old he is, and he has the most energy I've ever met in my entire life. Um, he loves middle schoolers and loves high schoolers. So what he would do with his job, he had this, this keen sense of being able to go into any situation and bring fun and bring adventure and bring experience. But then, while kids were doing this, he would like peer into their soul somehow. I have no idea. It was really creepy, kind of Jedi stuff. And, and he could see and be like, oh, I know that there's, this kid is holding something back. And so I want to I kind of create this scenario. Some call that manipulation. But he's calling this scenario um, for basically this thing that's underneath to be exposed. And he can do it with people in a really healthy way. And he can even do it with groups. And so for me, I'm like, oh, Gary, um, you are an adventurer. You go ice climbing. You go rock climbing. You go cliff jumping. All these things. Like, that's what he does on the normal. I'm like, I need you to come to every single retreat and every single mission trip that we ever do. So he's like, that sounds like so much fun. So he came. And we were on this one middle school retreat. It was for the fall. We were up at Center Lake Bible Camp. And the, the students, the group that we had, knew each other really well. They all went to school together, mostly in Ann Arbor Public Schools, sometimes, um, you know, outside of them. But they knew each other well. They were hanging out. But Gary and I, like, we're just like, man, like, something just smells funny. Like, we know that there's more that's going on under the surface, but we just don't know what to do. And we don't really know how to get at it. And he's like, I got it. Just step back. And it really scared me. Um, and so what, like, we're, we're going through the day. We get the students in. We're doing our evening session. And he's like, guys, I have a question for you, and I need you to answer it. And I don't know what's going to come out of Gary's mouth, but this is what came out. He says, I, I need you to answer this question. If you really knew me, you would know that. And he just left it. And for me, I'm like, okay, Gary, like, they're going to talk about eating Taco Bell and farting. Like, they're going to talk about all of these things. And, and so I'm sitting back, and I'm like, oh, this, this could be a bust. And then slowly, one by one, the 6th, 7th, and 8th graders, they, for about an hour and a half, were so honest. They said, if you really knew me, you would know that I've been carrying this weight about my parents, and I don't know how to talk about it. Um, you, if you really knew me, you would know that, yeah, like when I look at food, I get this really weird feeling about it and I just don't know. Hey, if you really knew me, the pressure of living in the shadow of U of M and going into high school just crushes me. I don't know what to do. If you really knew me, you would know that when I go into a group of people, I just think that everybody hates me and so I just like kind of clam up. If, and they just went on over and over and over and Gary was able to look at these students and love them but call them to something greater. It was so wild. It blew my mind. It's one of those things that um, I keep 
you know, every time I, I meet with Gary, we share the story, we talk about it. It's like, oh my gosh, can you believe it? Now these middle schoolers are growing up and they're putting into faith all these things. But, but there are events in our lives that, that cause us to have our eyes be opened, right? And then it changes how we have perspective moving forward from that day on. And I wonder, do you have an experience like that? It could be something at work. It could be something in your life. It could be something with faith. It could just be something that from this moment on, this event or this person or this conversation changed the trajectory for me. And so in our story today, I want to read, um, it, it seems that Jesus invites his disciples into a sort of a, a scenario like this. Because the, the disciples are, they're going forward, they're following him. Again, they're being with Jesus, they're becoming like Jesus, they're doing what he did. But, but I think Jesus saw into them and was like, okay, there's something that's there. Often they, they came off of mission, they're really excited about the work of God. But he's like, it's not, it's not really getting into their lives. Like they're doing it but they're still compartmentalized. And so he's like, I'm going to set up a scenario for them to come in, for them from this day forward to be completely changed. So if you have your Bibles, open it up to Matthew 14. It will be on the screen. I also have a paper version, which is interesting, uh, which is really good. But um, as you're going there, I want to give a little context. See, this story is in all of the Gospels. There's four Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke and John, and these are stories about Jesus from his life. And this particular story that we are going to read is in every single one, and that's very rare. Outside of like the resurrection, the crucifixion, um, we don't always get all the same stories, but we get this one with different perspectives from the different guys. And it's incredible, and I think for us today, um, this could be a really familiar story for you. And so if it's familiar, I'm asking that you kind of lean in that you hear it anew, that you say, ooh, let me, let me focus on Jesus and what he might have for me today through this text. And if you're like, I have no idea what this story is or what you're even talking about, well, great. I'm so excited that you're going to hear about Jesus for the first time today. So um, it's a new story, and I hope it captures your attention for the Jesus who completely loves you. So this is Matthew 14. I'm going to read 13 through 21. This is also known as the feeding of the 5,000. When Jesus heard what had happened, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. Hearing of this, the crowds followed him on foot from all the towns. When Jesus landed and saw the crowd, he had compassion on them and healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, This is a remote place. It's getting really late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food. Jesus replied, They don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Well, we only have five loaves of bread and two fish, they answered. Bring them here to me, he said. And he directed the people to sit down on the grass, taking five loaves and two fish. He looked up to heaven, and he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. Then he gave them to the disciples, and the disciples gave them to the people. They all ate and were satisfied, and the disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, besides women and children. So the few things that we want to highlight quickly and then spend a little bit more time on one at the end. But, but what do we notice going on in this story? Well, the very first thing that we read is that Jesus really wanted to get away. He really wanted to go alone by himself. He had heard um, about his cousin, John the Baptist, being put to death. It grieved him. And so he didn't want to be around people. Uh, so for some of us, we'd be like, oh, Jesus couldn't be around people all the time. 
That, that gives me a little bit of hope. That's okay. But Jesus wanted to withdraw. He was in mourning. He needed some space. And he just needed to be refreshed. It was okay for Jesus. It's okay for you. However, like the people found him. So either they saw him getting in the boat or like, you know, like things spread. It's whispers, all this stuff. Um, so when Jesus landed, he saw the crowd. And I don't know if you were in that situation. There's a lot of grief going in your life. Life is really crazy and busy. You're like, I'm going to take a drive and just go and, and get away from everything. If you have a boat, that'd be really cool too. When you get to where you land, the last thing that you want to see is a stadium full of people. It says 5,000 men. Most commentators think it's probably 10 to 15,000 people. So that's a lot of people for one guy. But what do you notice that the text says about Jesus? He had compassion on the crowd. When Jesus saw past the superficial needs of people, they just wanted to like, be wooed by his words. They wanted to maybe be healed by him. They wanted to be fed by him because they were really, really hungry. Um, he noticed that they were sheep without a shepherd. John's version of this story tells us that. They were people without leadership. They were people without somebody to walk alongside of them and care for them. They were just people that were kind of wandering and astray and getting into trouble. But Jesus spends all the time with them the entire day. And not only that, he sees them, he hears them, he listens to them, he heals them, which is beautiful and really important. So at some point, um, we don't know if the disciples were with Jesus when he got into the boat to go to a solitary place, or if the disciples were with the crowd kind of following him, be like, oh, we should probably find Jesus too. Uh, but at some point, they show up. And this is what the disciples say when they jump on the scene. Um, hey, these, these people are really hungry. Uh, Jesus, you might want to send them away. Um, the, the nearest towns were probably two miles away. So, you know, that would take, you know, depending on how fast or slow you walk, it could be a half hour, 45 minutes. So it's not that far, but in the heat of the day, a really long day, they were without food and they were hungry. And it seems like a good concern that the disciples were have for people. It's like, hey, there's a lot of people here. Jesus, it would be way better if you could just let them go home, um, let them rest. You can be by yourself again. That's kind of what you want. Seems like a really good plan. The disciples saw that. They heard it. And Jesus looks at them. And this is our third thing. Jesus calls the disciples to action. I, I just wonder what that exchange was like. Because they're like, you know, like, send them away. It's okay. You, you got this. You're tired. We know you're tired. You're grieving. You're sad. And Jesus, I, I just wonder if he got like a little bit of smirk on his face. And he's like, they don't need to go anywhere. You feed them. And like, they probably like stumble back. They're like, what in the world are you talking about? Um, I like, the disciples, they see the problem that there's 15,000 people, and now Jesus says, I want you to feed them, but they have no food whatsoever. The disciples see the problem, but Jesus sees the people, and he wants to respond to their needs. That's really important for us to realize, and really important for us to hear. So they've spent all day doing ministry. It's getting late. They need food. The disciples had to figure out what resources were available to do this. They actually had to stop seeing the problem and go among the people to find the food. And one of our gospel uh, writings about this particular story says they, they found a boy who had five loaves of bread and two fish. So they come back like, all right, boss, this is what we have. Here it is. Um, five loaves, two fish. It says that Jesus blessed it. He broke it, and he passed it out to the disciples. But, but we have to take a little time out. Because every time that I've read that story, I was like, oh, like that's like a giant sourdough loaf of bread. It's going to be lush. I was like, of course, you, know, you could just grab a little bit, like it's you know, like communion cracker size, and you could feed everybody. 
right? A little bit of fish, you get the tail, you can get the eyeball, you can have all these things. Like, we could work, that's disgusting, right? It's like, but in one of the gospel writings, it says that these were barley loaves. And barley loaves, if you think, so if you open up a regular pack of bread, and it's about the size of a slice, that's a barley loaf. It's, it's not very big. And barley was often for poor people, so it was like, this is kind of what they had. Like, that was their common everyday lunch. And, and the fish, they may not have been these, like, two giant salmons that they pulled out of Lake Michigan. They also, they could have been, more likely, pickled fish. And so what did the disciples find? They found a modern-day tuna sandwich that a kid had in his backpack. Like, that, that's what they had. Maybe a few of them, you know, because there were five loaves. But, but it's not this giant thing. So, like, we have to understand the context of the story. Jesus took this tiny little lunch, and he fed the multitudes. It completely blew the disciples' mind. And that brings us to our last thing. Jesus does the miraculous. And that's what we're getting into. And this is what makes this story iconic, because that's the series we're going in. We're looking at these iconic moments in Jesus' life that, that makes him iconic. And it says this, Jesus took the little that they had, and he made much of it. Like that, that makes the story absolutely iconic. That's what a miracle is. You take something that doesn't exist or is really, really small, and you make much of it. And that's what Jesus did in the disciples' life, and that's what he did here. So he took the little amount of food, and he blessed the crowd. He did that for the people. He also took the little bit of faith that the disciples had, and he built them up. So sometimes Jesus will bless some, and sometimes he will build others up. Here's a great quote from David Platt. It says, Jesus was calling the disciples to do something they couldn't do in their own power and with their own resources. He wanted them to recognize their insufficiency and at the same time realize his sufficiency in two ways. That Jesus meets needs in us and Jesus will also meet needs through us. This is where I want to camp out for a little bit. Jesus meets needs in us and he also meets needs through us. You're like, well, that sounds very simple. It is. Let's just take it a layer deeper. Jesus is able and willing to meet the deepest needs in your life. The deepest needs. Your deepest desires, your deepest longings, your deepest cravings, the things that keep you up at night financially or relationally. Like, he is able to meet those needs. He isn't simply the one who gives what satisfies. Jesus is the one who satisfies. This is why we are 100% obsessed with this practice that we call being with Jesus. It's our number one goal for you as a follower of Jesus is to build up the practice of being with Jesus on a daily basis. So when I sit in silence, this is, this is what happens. This is real time. Uh, for me, it looks like it's still dark in the morning. It's because it's when everybody is still sleeping in my house and the dog is even sleeping. And I can sit uh, at my space and, and I typically start being quiet. I just start in silence because at that, all these voices and all these competing things rise up in my mind and rise up in my heart. And it's then that I can see them and the things that are fighting for my attention. Without silence, as a beginning, I just jump right into things and all those are swirling. And I'm not able to look at them and I'm not able to see them and I'm not able to hear what God has to say about them. Also with scripture, when I sit down with scripture, I'm able to receive the truth in my life, that I'm an adopted son of God. 
Because a lot of the lies and a lot of the other things that are swirling for my attention is that I'm trying to find my worth in what I do. I'm trying to find my worth in what other people say about me. I'm trying to find my worth that I know if like, I buy this or I do another one click and I get it delivered tomorrow, it's going to satisfy me. Like, those are all competing things that happen. And so for the disciples, they're trying to learn what that is. For us, we're trying to learn what that is. So a practice that we will always put before you is to be with Jesus. And what comes out of what is produced in that is that Jesus will be able to meet your needs. He does that. He meets your needs in us. Uh, I love doing weddings. I did one a couple weeks ago. It was actually on a Sunday, so we did um, all the cleanup and, and stuff here. We loaded the trailer. Uh, I went to my car. I grabbed my suit. I like, got dressed kind of like Superman does in like, the bathroom stall and try not to get my suit on the floor because it's disgusting. And so I put it on. I'm driving. It's up over in Clarkston, and I get there. It's this beautiful golf course with all these really tall pine trees and this beautiful space right in the middle where the wedding was. And we're doing the ceremony. It's this couple that, you know, we had to do everything over FaceTime um, because they lived in Atlanta, and so they were coming here for the wedding. And it was in the middle. Her name is Caroline. His name was Michael. And my favorite part of the entire ceremony is when I get to look at the bride, and I say, Caroline, look at, look at Michael for a second. He will never be able to meet all of your needs. And she gets this, like, really weird look, like, I can't believe you're here. Like, we, we should have picked somebody else. And then I look over, and I'm like, Michael, look at, look at your beautiful bride. She will never be able to meet all of your needs. And, like, again, he's like, ah, this is awkward. And everybody in the crowd's like, not heard this before. Okay, all right, maybe, maybe we'll get through this. And then I'm just like, guys, here's the good news. Neither of you were designed that way. Right? And so when we bring that question of, hey, are you going to meet all of my needs into a marriage or into a friendship or into a relationship or take it to work to say, oh, this is going to fulfill me or when we keep buying things, like, no, no, no. You were never designed to be fulfilled by anyone but Jesus. And it just takes practice to get there. And more things come up the longer that we live, but we built in that practice of being with Jesus. So an interrogating question for all of us is where or to whom have you been going in order to be satisfied? Where have you been going to be satisfied? Who have you been going to to be satisfied? This is not a question of shame. It's just of what's the truth that comes up? And is that Jesus? And if not, what do we need to do to get closer and closer to Jesus for him to satisfy us? The next thing that we see in this is Jesus meets needs through us. You see, Jesus was all-powerful. He has calmed giant storms in a boat. He has, um, he's forgiven sin. He's healed somebody, like somebody was dead, and he brought them back to life. He could have said, I would like bread to come down from heaven. And so when you guys sit in your rows, like, um, and Luca says that they sat in groups of like 50 and 100, so it's like 50 here, we've got 100 here, we've got 50 here. I want you to sit in these groups, and then I'm, on the count of three, I'm going to snap my fingers, and bread will fall from heaven. It'll be just like Moses. It'll be cool, and you can eat a really nice meal. Jesus didn't do that. Well, well why not? Well, he wanted to bring his disciples into it. So what, what does this look like? The disciples... Maybe they kept coming back to Jesus. Maybe he was, like, standing in the back, and they're doing all the work, and, like, he just has, like, a giant bushel, and he just, like, keeps pulling out, like, the little Wonder Bread slices, and he just, like, keeps passing it out, and he's, like, making these tuna sandwiches, and he gives it to them. Maybe as the disciples are carrying baskets around, like, they give them a sandwich to somebody else, and they look, and there's another one in there. Like, oh, Jesus, let's keep going. Like, I don't even know if the crowd knew what was going on. 
But we know that the disciples did. And they kept going, and they kept going, and they kept going. And the text says everybody was satisfied. And there were leftovers. It was incredible. So, Jesus blessed the people, and he built up the disciples' faith through it. Well, there, there's a practice that's built into this because Jesus looked at the disciples and said, you're going to do it. You're going to do the feeding. And they're like, we have nothing. <laughs> and he's like, well, find it. And they have the five loaves and they have the two fish. And do, do you hear the command that Jesus gave to them? He says, bring it to me. Just bring it to me. I'll take care of the rest. You bring it to me. You see, the disciples saw the problem. Jesus saw the people. They said, we only have five loaves and two fish. It's a a very small lunch for the multitudes. We can't do this. And they just made an excuse. And Jesus says, bring bring your excuse to me. But I only have, nope, bring it to Jesus. But my problems are way too big for for Jesus to handle. It's not bring it to Jesus. My apartment is way too small to have people over. Nope, bring it to Jesus. My bank account is much too small for me to be generous right now in my life. Nope. Bring it to Jesus. The hurt and the pain that I have inside of my heart because of what's happened to me is much too large for me to forgive. No. Bring it to Jesus. What is the bread and the fish that Jesus is asking you to bring to him right now in your life? We've all got it. And here is what we love And here is what is amazing for us. As we bring what we have to Jesus, he takes the little and makes much of it, and he uses it for the benefit of others. The disciples saw the miracle happen over and over and over again. He said, just just bring it. So right now in your life, what is the, the little thing that you have that Jesus is asking you to bring that he wants to make much of. Everybody's got it. Everybody's got it, and it's important. And so then Jesus went on, he fed the crowds, and they were satisfied, and they they probably went home, they were talking about, man, that was a really good meal. It was the best tuna sandwich I've ever had in my life. This is wonderful. And they just went about their day. Seemingly unchanged, they still followed him, they still wanted more food later, but the disciples had that defining moment. And like, did you see what he did to us? It was incredible. Uh, In Luke's account, it says that disciples were coming off a mission. And so Jesus said, hey, like, I want to get away with you. I want to go into a solitary place. We're going to unpack this whole thing. Um, It says that the disciples did so much ministry that they weren't even able to eat. They were really, really hungry. So they got in the boat, and when they got out, the crowd happened. All the miracles happened that whole day. I I don't think the disciples ate. Like, have you been so busy in your life that you forget to eat? And it's like, oh, my gosh. Don't forget the leftovers in the story. How many, how many leftovers were there? Twelve, Twelve baskets. How many disciples were there? Twelve disciples. Now, the word basket is not like giant thing. Uh, the word basket is basically uh, the common everyday basket that somebody would carry with them with the meal that they would have for the day if they were out and about. Really, it was so that they wouldn't eat Gentile food and like defile themselves. So it's like, you know, that was a little strange. But, but think about it. It was a lunchbox. And their job was to go and to collect all the food, and they had 12 lunchboxes left over. So as the disciples were doing the ministry and benefiting all these other people, Jesus took care of them in the process. And he says, guys, just trust me. I've got you.
They ate as much as they wanted, and afterwards the disciples picked up 12 baskets of leftover bread and fish. Jesus takes what you have, and he makes much of it. And in doing so, he blesses others, and he will build up your faith. It's a beautiful story. It's an iconic story. Much that it's so familiar that we pass over it, I'll be fully honest and transparent. I was not super excited when I, when I saw this. It was like, oh, I get to teach on feeding the 5,000. Cool. Jesus made a lot of food. It's like, oh, it's more than that. Jesus meets the needs in you. He is the one who satisfies. And then not only that, he wants to use you to do the things that he did to meet the needs of others through you. Shortly after Jesus fed the 5,000, he gets the disciples together and he says, guys, um, I want to tell you something. And then the crowds, again, they follow. And he says in John 6, I am the bread of life. It's like, yeah, you've eaten bread. I can multiply bread. I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never, ever go hungry. And whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. Jesus is the one who satisfies. So as Christians, um, Jesus left us a reminder because we are a forgetful people. And we need practices in our life with tangible things um, so that we can remember what he's done for us and what we are to do in return. And so Jesus says, hey, um, whenever you get together, I want you to take bread and I want you to break it and I want you to give it the same, same movements of what Jesus did with feeding of the 5,000. So say, I'm going to give you a reminder so that you can stay grounded in the story that Jesus is the king. He's the king of the universe. He's the king of your life. He gives us a reminder that, that we are his adopted sons and that we are his adopted daughters because we forget once we go back and we wake up in the morning and go about our days. And also it's a reminder of his death on the cross for you because you will forget that you are forgiven. And so Jesus comes and says, hey, this is my body, which has been broken for you. And he says, this is my blood that is shed for you. So whenever you get together and you drink of it and you eat of it, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Jesus will satisfy you. All he asks is that you simply come to bring your little so that he can make much of it. And in this time of communion, sometimes we think, man, well, I've got a lot of stuff going on in my life. I've actually got a lot that I need to bring to Jesus and it's called sin. He is standing there ready and waiting for you to come to him and just to bring it to him. And he will gladly take it in exchange for forgiveness. So we're just going to leave a little bit of space for you to take some time to examine yourself. If you want to have a conversation with Jesus, do that. If you want to put your trust in Jesus, you simply say, Jesus, I trust you. I surrender my life to you. And then when you are ready, you can take and eat this bread that represents the body of Jesus, and you can drink this blood that represents the blood of Jesus. And then as a community, we will stand and we will sing. So Jesus, thank you for the feeding of the 5,000. Thank you that you exposed in the disciples maybe this lack of faith in what you're able to do. 
And I pray right now, God, that you would show us the things that we need to bring to you. It could be the things that are very small in our life or the sin that seems so big. But Jesus, help us to see you with open arms, ready and willing to meet the needs in us. Thank you for the death that you went to on the cross for us. Thank you for raising from the dead and defeating Satan's sin and death so that we can have life in you. So Jesus, give us great joy because of that. God, expose anything in us that is not of you so that we could come to you fully. We love you, we thank you, and we pray this in your name.